Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, and you are invited to attend this flagship conference from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, North America 2019. That is a mouthful and an awesome conference to attend. It's happening November 18th to the 21st in San Diego, California. This conference gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities. Use the code KCNACHANGELOG19. Once again, KCNACHANGELOG19 to get 10% off registration or check the show notes for a special link to register and also a link to the convince your boss letter. Again, check the show notes for links to learn more and register. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Change Log, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at Change Log. On today's show, we're talking with Chris Anderson, former Editor-in-Chief of Wired and a true pioneer in the world of drones. We talk with Chris about his hobby gone wrong, how he started 3D robotics, DIY drones, and drone code. And we also talk to him about his newest passion, DIY robocars. Chris, we have lots of stuff that we could talk with you about. Of course, your history at Wired, all the stuff you're doing with drones. We want to focus in on the drones. I read in your Amazon bio that you said you have a hobby gone wrong. I have an Amazon bio. You do on your author page. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit outdated because it still calls you the uh, editor of Wired. So outdated. But it does say you have a hobby gone wrong uh, with aerial robotics and with 3D Robotics, uh, a company you co-founded kind of based on a hobby gone wrong. So I'm curious what went wrong and if you could tell us that story. Yeah, so I've, I've described um, drones or 3DR as a hobby gone wrong. And what I meant by that is that um, uh, the hobby um, was super fun, uh, took off, um, became kind of a movement and became a company, at which point it stopped being a hobby. Um, so if you're doing something for fun, um, and it succeeds wildly. Um, Typically, it's not fun anymore. Um, (laughs) You're spending all your time dealing with customer support, community management, then it's a company. And I don't think I have flown a drone in the last year. Bummer. Mm, Yeah. A sad sad ending to your amazing story. Well, tell (laughs) us about the beginning of this. Back when it was fun. Go back to the fun days. I think it was. By, by the way, I, I, I still have fun doing <laughs> other things, and and it is a perfectly natural, you know, t- uh, progression. Um, and we'll get into this probably later in the in the in the conversation. But because I I missed the days of it being a hobby and fun, I decided to restart the whole thing with cars, not drones. And so today, I um, DIY Robocars is our autonomous car racing league, is super fun. And remind me not to turn it into a company. I was going to say, when are you going to transition that into a money-making organism? I, I, I think that you and my wife <laughs> <laughs> are assigned to the task of, of, of answering that as never. As never. Yeah, so, so you were saying, um, to talk about the transition from, from Yeah, we'll from go back hobby. to the fun days. Tell us how you, this thing got started. Um, I, I know a little bit of the story because I, I got to hear some of this. Can you share a little bit of the backstory, Jared, there? there? Like, what interests you in, in Chris? The open source co- open source uh, summit conference, maybe a little bit of backstory. Yeah, so we were at the Open Core Summit, and Chris had a talk about uh, drones and robotics. I think it was called "How I Convinced the Pentagon to Use Open Source Drones." I mean, yeah. who wouldn't be interested in that, right? So I was all in on that talk and got to have a uh, about an hour of Chris's time just telling us this amazing story. And I wanted more people to hear the story, and so I was like, I emailed him and said, "Come on and tell us." So. Uh, yeah. I think it started around the time of the iPhone, if, if I recall. It, 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 it did. It's 2007. Um, at the time, I'm uh, editor of Wired. Um, I've got five kids. And uh, my wife and I are scientists by training, and we're always trying to get the kids interested in science and technology. And um, uh, we're, you know, we bring home projects, and they would inver- invariably be disappointed and tell, tell us that we're nerds, which is true. And uh, this particular weekend, um, like early 2007, um, uh, two things came into the office at Wired for review. Um, one of them was a Lego Mindstorms NXT kit, which is the robotics kit. 
and another was like a radio control plane. And I and I, you know, there's a deal, we had a deal at Wired, which is you were allowed to take a review thing home on the weekend as long as you agree to review it. Um, so typically, you know, I first come for, for serve. I, I, I grabbed these two and um, I said, OK, kids, um, on Saturday, we're going to build a robot. And on Sunday, we're going to fly a plane. And they're like, uh, OK, we'll see. Um, so on Saturday, we diligently follow the instructions. And, and, you know, when you build a Lego robot, it's got, you know, wheels and it's sensors and it's sort of it takes all morning to put it together and to program it. And then it sort of very slowly, you know, moves forward until it sees a wall and then sort of moves back. And they're like, that's stupid. We've seen Transformers, right? right. <laughs> you know, where are the, the freaking lasers? Boring. Um, boring. lasers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, fine. I get it. A little dull. Um, you know, by the way, Hollywood has ruined robotics for kids because you oh, just can't my. compete with, with CG. Good point. Um, so then we um, – so I'm like, okay – Tomorrow, Sunday, we're going to fly a plane. And so we look on YouTube. We see these the videos of acrobatics and cool stuff. And, and uh, you know, they, 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 they go to the field, uh, the park with me. And, you know, I launch the plane and it immediately flies into a tree. And they're like, that also sucked. Um, <laughs> and I, I kind of had to agree with them on both counts. Um, and so I, I come back and you know, I had to, like, bribe them with ice cream. And I, and, I, and I come back and I thought, how could that have gone better? You know, clearly we needed a, a cooler robot and a better flying plane. And I thought, well, what if the robot was the plane? You know, what if it would just fly itself? That would be cooler. And so I Googled flying robot. And if you Google flying robot, it turns out that you get drone. That's what a drone is. It's a flying robot. I'm like, got it. Huh. What's a drone? If you Google drone, it's like it's an aircraft with an autopilot, like a plane with a brain. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay. Wait, what's an autopilot? If you Google autopilot, it's like sensors and compute and software. And I'm like, that's kind of what's in the Lego Mindstorms box. It came with um, uh, gyros- you know, gyroscopic sensors, accelerometers, magnetometers, um, a Bluetooth connection, which would connect to GPS. And I'm like, I think it's kind of the same stuff that's in this box. And so we, around the dining room table, we stuck, to- stuck together the bits and had a nine-year-old program the code. And uh, we had a Lego autopilot. And then we stuck it in the plane now retrieved from the tree. <laughs> and um, the next weekend we went out and it, uh, it, it worked. Um, not, you know, not brilliantly well, sure. but it, it flew Proof and it concept. flew by itself. Yeah, Any exactly. lasers this time? No, no lasers, still no lasers. So, so they were, they were, they were, we'll you know, the it, they were interested for like 10 more seconds. And then, and I, and yeah, that, that was, that was it for them. And I was like, what just happened? Right. That should not be possible. Cause you know, at the time drones were like, predators and global hawks and military industrial and they were classified and super you know 10 billion dollar things and we had just built a drone with lego pieces around the dining room table programmed by a nine-year-old and it's like okay you know putting aside that it's not a brilliant great drone that should not be possible mm-hmm. you know it, it's not it when when a nine-year-old can do something that is classified that literally export controlled as munition with lego with toy pieces it was something important in this world has changed. And um, I wasn't clear what it was, but I knew it was something. Um, so I set up a, a website, you know, and, and, you know, 10 years earlier, it would have been a blog. And 10 years later, it would have been a, I don't know, a Twitter feed. But at the, moment, it was, <laughs> it, at the moment, it was a, it was a, a social network. Um, so we set up a, a, I set up a social network um, uh, called DIY Drones. And it was largely so I could um, uh, chronicle, you know, my own experiments, but also kind of ask dumb questions. Learn, in yeah. Learn, exactly. And, and it just so happened that, you know, my discovery at that moment had kind of coincided with a lot of other people who were discovering the same thing, which is that this sort of impossible thing had suddenly become easy. And some people had come via, you know, advances in radio control airplanes, you know, with like, you know, um, you know, electric power and better mm-hmm. radios. Some of them had come via sort of the maker movement with like 3D printing and Arduino. Um, some had, um, had started playing around with the components in the iPhone, which had come out that year. Um, or also, it, that also could have been found in like a Wii controller, like the accelerometer. Right. Um, and, you know, everybody had sort of had, there was a, there was a kind of a... Um, there was a glitch in the matrix. There was this, this sort of you know, this, this, this disturbance in the force that had gone out in 2007. And anybody who was paying attention to hardware sort of recognized it, but, but, but everybody saw it slightly differently. Like, for example, um, the Fitbit founders had bought a Wii 
you know, video game console. Mm-hmm. And they were like, they were looking at the controller and they were like, what's in here? And it's like, oh, it's just like accelerometer chip. I wonder what else they could do. I could do with that. And they made, they made the Fitbit. Um, and so, and so, you know, everyone was kind of recognizing there was this bounty of like cool stuff that in retrospect, we now call the peace dividend of the smartphone wars. But that, that basically um, the components of smartphones and the economies of scale of the Apples and the Googles of the world with MEM sensors, um, Wi-Fi, um, um, battery technology, GPS technology, radio technology, all these bits had transformative effect in adjacent industries. And it was up to us to figure out how to take these bits and, and use them elsewhere. And my, my elsewhere happened to be drones. But... You know, you could see this explosion in hardware innovation around there as everyone figured out some adjacent space to explore. So yours was drones and hobby at this phase. Tell us the next step in your process. You have a website, DIY Drones. I think at this point it's growing maybe faster than you expected because like you said, it was kind of a moment in time. Was that a strong indicator for you? Like, holy cow, there's something here and I need to keep going or were you just continuing to tinker? I was continuing to tinker, um, and you know the very first autopilot was one that well, the very first three autopilots were ones that I had programmed, which you know I'm not I'm not a great developer, so so that tells you kind of what level they were at. Um, but two things happened that sort of tipped me off. This is bigger. Um, uh, number one is that um, people started contributing their own better code and electrical and electronics designs. Um, so that was good. And then um, teams started to form. People started to work with each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what, you know the, the way open source always works in, in, my, in my experience is that, you know, you do something to scratch your own itch and yet you put it out there. And, um, and it might inspire other people to, to, to do their own thing. And then sometime, and at some point they start to clump. Mm-hmm. And people say, you know, rather than doing my own thing, I think I'm going to join up on your thing. Or I'm going to do a pull request or a bug fix or an issue report. And the moment they start working together, then, you, then you've got something. And so what we saw is that, that, that phase. I'm putting out kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's like our Lego autopilot made the, like this back in the day. It made the front page a slash dot. Okay. So, you know, that was a thing back then. Sure. And then everyone's like, oh, that's super cool, you know, um, but your code sucks, which is true. It was written by a nine-year-old. And... Um, <laughs> And um, by the way, that Lego drone is in the Lego Museum in Billund, Denmark, right now. What? It's the world's That's first. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So did yeah. Lego? Did they receive Lego. it? Did they care about it? Did they? Oh, they loved it. I mean, I was theater wired, so you know, <laughs> it was it was it was kind of that cool marketing yeah. for, for yeah. them. Um, but yeah, so um, I was also on the advisory board for Lego Mindstorms uh, um, later. Um, so it, it all it all played uh, well. By the way, a cool little bit about this. Um, um, at the time, and actually still, um, uh, autopilots were considered cruise missile controllers and a, and a weapon, um, or munition to use the phrase. And so they were export controlled. And, um, and if you export the technology for a cruise missile controller, um, you can go to Guantanamo Bay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like super bad. That's bad. And the act of putting something on the internet is considering exporting it. Now, you know, so, so technically we weaponized Lego. You're on shaky ground there. <laughs> and I was just like, please, please, please subpoena, please, please subpoena my children so that they have to testify in Congress about how they, how they you, know, um, you know, put a Lego autopilot on the internet and committed some sort of great, <laughs> grave crime. The best press of all time, wouldn't it be? Yeah, you really can't do better than that. Uh, they, they sadly, wiser minds realized that, that the problem was not us, it was the law. Right. <laughs> yeah, when did the law exactly. change around that? At what point did they get wiser to it? Uh, the, the law never changed. Um, uh, there are two things that, uh, that, that, that uh, the law accommodates. One is that there was an exemption for public domain. So if you open source the stuff, then it's considered public domain and you're no longer, you know, um, you're, you're, you're exempted. Um, so on, the, uh, on the assumption that no one would ever open source a cruise missile controller. But of course, that's, it's not, that's, that's kind of what we did. Apparently, that's a bad assumption. Yeah, it's a bad assumption. And then the uh, second um, exemption is that over time, the definition of you know, military-grade technology keeps evolving as technology evolves. So remember, like back in the day, like a, a PlayStation 2 was considered export-controlled because you could be you know, designing nuclear weapons on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so over time, as things become commercially available and sort of off the shelf, they fall off the list of, of munitions. Um, now, it took, it took, I should tell you, that, um, that it took to, to 2000 and like, 13 
before the autopilot that my children made fell off the list. Oh, that 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 quality of autopilot mm. fell off the list. And it was only once you could literally buy it in in like Walmart um, was it considered no longer um, eligible. And it's a constant it's a constant struggle to to educate the regulators that hey, you know what GPS is like in our phone, and they're like, huh. Okay, but what kind of GPS? And is it GPS you know, as a standalone module? Is that still you know export control? Anyway, it's it's a long struggle, and I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. But but yeah, that's how we got around. Did you actually have lots of meetings with them where you have to go in and explain these things? Because there is this like you have the commoditization of all of these different parts, like you said. There's this moment, then you have this ragtag team yeah. of open source people putting out into the world the plans for building uh, defense mechanisms, right? And you have, yeah. meanwhile, you have like this huge industry of million dollar, you know, million is a small number, multi-million dollar uh, service contracts and like all these things. And it's just going mm. by, the, it's, it's going to quickly go by the wayside. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's logic, you know, so what you just said is very logical. Um, well, thank you. The way it actually works is that you have, you know, inspectors at the kind of the ground level and, and their job is just to you know, implement the laws as they understand them. So did we have lots of meetings? Yes. Did the FBI, you know, come to the office? Many times. Um, and uh, everybody was, I was going to say everyone was super nice. That isn't actually true. Um, the FBI was super nice. <laughs> Most people. <laughs> um, uh, Who you know, wasn't it, very it, nice? Um, uh, the Export Control Administration is, is handled by the Department of Commerce. And um, they have these kind of regional inspectors. And the regional inspectors have quotas of like how many people do they put behind bars today? Mm. And um, and they just they were just they didn't want to hear the logic. They're just like you know, you know, it looks to me like you're violating part whatever. Right. You know, uh, prove to me that you're not. And it's just it's just years of lawyers um, to you know just just to kind of like sh like literally you just have to show them that this is can be bought in Walmart. Right. And then you'd need to, you know, prove that, you know, prove that it's the same as the one you're doing right now. And it's just, you know, unfortunately, as a pioneer, we are the ones who had to go through it first. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Guess what? DigitalOcean recently added MySQL and Redis to their list of managed databases. Their full managed databases lineup now includes the three most popular databases out there for developers, Postgres, MySQL, and Redis. It'll eliminate the complexity involved in managing, scaling, and securing your database infrastructure, and instead, get back to focusing on building value for your users. Learn more and get started for free with a $50 credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. So while you're pioneering this and you're taking lots of meetings with scary people, sometimes nice, sometimes not so nice people, mm -hmm. you're also at the same time, this this open source, you know, this forum and this open source code, you're starting to build a hardware company, 3D Robotics. Tell the story of, of how that actually turned into a business. I know you have a co-founder, which is a very interesting tale. Yeah. Uh, unpack that for us. Yeah. So, um, so uh we start that with the community. The community starts taking off. People are sharing code and, and, and design files, and it's pretty exciting. It's clear we're we're doing something, and it's accelerating really fast. <clears throat> it's still it's still very much a kind of a hacker thing, um, and, but the word's getting out. This is now possible. And then, then the next generation of people come, and they're like, "Hey, we heard that you can like. There's a thing called you can put letters DIY in front of a drone. I would totally like to have my own drone, but I don't know how to program. I don't know how to fab a PCB. I don't know how to solder. I don't know, you know, how to compile. Whatever. Can you just do it for me? Can you? Can we buy one? You know, kit or a kit or something like that. And, and so uh, we said, well, I guess we need to turn it into a kit. And we started really simple with um, uh, an autonomous blimp called Blimpduino because it used the Arduino. Nice. Um, and um, and it was um, my kids assembled it um, on the dining room table um, in pizza boxes. We we made um, a thousand of them for a Maker Fair. Uh, they sold out on Saturday. Um, I came home and I said to the kids, "Fits great news. Everyone loves our blimp kit." And they sold out. And they're like, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> they have no. Uh, uh, kids yeah. are just completely nonplussed by this entire. All right, all right, all right. These are Silicon Valley kids, right? You okay. know, they're, it's impossible to impress them. <laughs> Someday, someday they'll thank me. Um, and um, and I said, well, you know, you know, we need to 
make more. And they're like, not going to happen. <laughs> We're not doing that again. <laughs> We're out. <laughs> We're out. We're out. Um, so I, I went onto the forums and there was this like, uh, I, was, I was like, you know, I, 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 need, I need someone to help, you know, put together these kits. And um, the, the smartest guy in the forums was this guy who um, was uh, flying a remote control helicopter with a Wii controller. And he is, you know, he's, he posted the code and the YouTube videos mm-hmm. and it was really good. Um, and his name is, uh, is uh, Jordi Munoz. Uh, you know, never met him, just, just a guy on the, on, on the forum. Yeah. Um, and he said that he had a little spare time and uh, that he would uh, be happy to help me. So I said, what do you need? And he said, um, I need $500 for, pa- for parts. So I sent him like a check, like literally a, a check in an envelope uh, for $500. And he sent me back a picture of him in the garage um, soldering together the parts. And, um, you know, and I thought that was the end of it. Um, you know, they could really continue to be, to be made. Um, we set up a little e-commerce shop and, um, and uh, that was it. Um, but he kept sending me more pictures and just like, I've got some friends to help me. We've moved to a garage. We've moved to a bigger garage. Um, no, we bought, we, we bought, you know, some pick and place He's machines, some low ovens. He is. And, um, I still never met the guy, um, at this, at this point. Um, and, uh, by 2012, um, Jordy had with a full investment of $500, uh, uh, we, we incorporated as a company, which again, I did on the internet, you know, <laughs> never met my co-founder, no capital. Um, by 2012, we had factories in San Diego, Tijuana, Mexico, we're the biggest drone manufacturer in America by a factor of 10, uh, making more drones per, per month than all of America's aerospace companies combined. Um, we're on a $10 million run rate and I still hadn't met my co-founder. Um, so wow. I'm like, uh, maybe, maybe it was 2011, but it was, it was, it was, it was early. So I'm like, um, uh, the venture capitalists are like, you know, I'm still the editor of Wired. It's, 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 it's a, it's a hobby gone wrong. Um, so I, uh, the venture capitalists, you know, who have been saying, you, you know, this is kind of a thing you should, should do this. <laughs> you think? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, my, I, I talked to my wife about it and I said, you know, I think maybe it's, you know, media is kind of getting a tougher industry. It was it's still doing really well, but you could see that it was, media was going to get tougher. I'd been doing it for 12 years, running Wired. Yeah. And um, meanwhile, this sort of side project had, had, had sprouted. And I, I said, um, I think I might want to just raise capital and do it. And she says, um, I, she says, well, you've got to raise, you know, a lot of capital. I'm like, how much? She said, well, a million dollars for every child. So we had five children. So I said, okay, I'll raise $5 million, which seemed like a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, we, we raised $5 million. She let me qu- quit my job. I met my co-founder. I actually met him during a part of the fundraising thing. And it turns out that Jordy, when I had actually started this, was a um, – when he started this, he was, uh, he was 19 years old. He'd just graduated from high school in Tijuana, Mexico. He was actually in the United States because he was having a child. Um, and they wanted to then the U.S. and kind of working on – on, on citizenship stuff. Um, that's why he had spare time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'd accidentally created a 21st century aerospace company with a, you know, a, 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 a teenage, you know, high school graduate from Tijuana who I met on the internet. I love it. Which is like, that almost perfect. never happens. It, Just it, once, it doesn't, maybe. it doesn't sound right, but you know, as I say, if you want to start Facebook, get a kid from a Harvard dorm room. You want to start a manufacturing company? Um, get a kid from Tijuana. Right. That's that's, that's a where competitive that's, advantage, right? That's that's the Shenzhen of North America. They just they just, you know I didn't know what a pick and place machine was, and he just like bought them used on eBay and downloaded the manual from the internet. I mean, wow. you know, if you if you grow up in Tijuana, you building electronics factories is just something people do. do Explain that. pick and place just uh, just quickly. Oh yeah, so so uh, an autopilot is basically a, a circuit board with lots of chips on it, and 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 the circuit board is is like a fiberglass board that you just have those have those made, and the pick and place um, is a robot that takes the little chips and puts them on the board very precisely um, on top of a sort of a, a goopy gray paste, um, which is actually solder. And then it goes into what's called a reflow oven, and then that kind of melts the solder and all becomes electrically connected. Um, and then there's there's other there's other elements of it, but it's basically a robot that makes makes electronics. So Adam and I also met on the internet, and he had the chainsaw <laughs> going at the time. We're business partners, but it took us years to to build up trust, didn't it, Adam? I mean, yeah. anybody you meet, you you have to build up trust, but especially when you meet them online. It seemed like you with Jordy, you didn't mind that much, maybe because it was a hobby. I, I didn't. Yeah, trust is never been an issue for me just because I've been lucky. Um, but, um, but it, it, you know, I wasn't putting much at risk. It was right. like literally $500. $500, you know? yeah. right. $500 and I expected nothing. 
Um, I literally, you know, expected never to see it again. Did it, um, did it, literally, it, it literally not take more than 500 to scale it to the 10 million run rate you mentioned? Like $500 in to invest? They were cash flow positive on day one. Wow. I mean, it's, we subsequently were raised, you know, after we took venture capital, we raised like $140 million. So, right. you know. So eventually it grew up, but it was. Oh, yeah, eventually it grew up. But, but, but the first, you know, the first um, five years, well, not five years, first like four years of the company. No, that's not right. 2009 through 2000. Yeah, about three, about three years of the company was all organic cash flow. Who was buying the uh, drones? DIY. Well, they, were, they, were, they it... weren't even drones at that point. They were kits. they were actually they were actually kits. Yeah, they were um, they were DIYers. Um, um, so the, the the whole drone community ended up being sort of two communities that came together, but never really culturally. Um, some of them were just like you know geeks who were just fascinated by by new technology, you know, and robots and software and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's where I came from. You know, no interest in the flying part. Just kind of like this is like the hottest new thing. I got, yeah. I got to, I got to understand it. Um, the other community were like radio control hobbyists who wanted to extend their hobby with you know autonomy and going, going you know first person view and things like that. And they were really into the flying thing. So I actually have no interest in the flying thing, which is why I don't fly drones. I was really interested in the software and the hardware and the and and and, and, and you know the and the data that that drones could acquire. Um, and so basically you have pilots and programmers and, and the pilots like would go out in the field and, and they really liked, you know, the airtime and, and the programmers sometimes never even flew. Um, and so we had these two communities come together and today, the, you know, um, you still see the, 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 the schism in the drone world between pilots and programmers. Right. Um, uh, programmers are about autonomy. We want, we, these are robots. They should not have humans involved. Yeah, pilots no want to fly them. And pilots want to fly. So, so basically we banned Band, band, but I have a kind of policy is no sticks. Um, if, if there are sticks, sticks are the, like the remote control mm-hmm, uh, yeah. sticks. If there are sticks involved, it's not a drone. Um, and we actually unscrew the sticks because um, yeah, we still use the for, for FAA compliance purposes. There still needs the ability. It still needs to be ability for a human to take over. But we actually unscrew the sticks. Um, so just so that no one accidentally touches them. Um, so I, I believe that, you know, that, that, that humans should not be flying. You know, I, th- I think I think you know whoever the, the Wright brothers skeptics were right that humans were not meant to fly. <laughs> They're meant to be flown, <laughs> but right. not to fly. Um, so I'm 100% autonomy, and the pilots, um, you know, still really like the you know the human centrism of the whole thing. Um, and today, you know, um, in the industry, there's there the pilots are called operators, and um, and the and the programmers are called developers, and um, uh, they're still kind of in opposition. Uh, to each other, and over time, um, you know, as, as long as the FAA requires a so-called pilot in command, the operators still have to be there. But they're not. There's, there's nothing left for them to do. Yeah. They're literally just standing there, com- in as as a kind of a, a, a statue of compliance. Um, but we don't want them touching the sticks. You know, it's like if you fly if you fly a uh, you know a, a jetliner you know across the country, your pilot's not doing anything. I mean, you know that, right? For they sure. are they are just in the in in the uh, cockpit. Two of them are in the cockpit. You know, just, just in, case. in case. And you know, maybe maybe There's you know, a social today, factor there as well, right? Like they yeah they yeah. And I, I I call it like um like like you know flight theater. It's like you know they, they wear a uniform, they've got a hat, you know, they talk to you over. The, it, it's all theater. Somebody They're has to make the, the announcement. How how many people are flying at? And- Everything's going to be just fine, folks. Everything's going to be just fine. Exactly. Now they still do. They'll still do the takeoff and landing because you know because pilots like actually you can tell the difference between a between a an autonomous landing and a manual landing. Um, The smooth ones that you you applaud, the pilot had nothing to do with that. That was that was all the autopilot. Um, The bumpy ones, that was the pilot. Okay. Wow. That's not fair, by the way. But (laughs) but, you know, but but these days, like a new Airbus can can take off and land and even taxi by itself. So slightly upstream, but are you bullish on the autonomous cars then in terms of uh, like fourth level self-driving? What are your thoughts on that in terms of autonomous? Level four. Yeah. So, so as my, my hobby is on the side now is that we do um, autonomous car racing. And these are sort of subscale, so they're like one-tenth scale. Um, the same technology, same software, same you know, LiDAR cameras and, and other sensors. Just smaller um, scale. Just smaller scale, which means that we can do them indoors. Um, that nobody gets hurt. Uh, they cost less than four hundred dollars, and um, and we can race, you know, wheel to wheel. Um, you know, two cars on the track at the same time. Super cool. No um, sticks. Really fast. No, no sticks. Uh, they're, literally, it's <laughs> they're not. You, you get disqualified if you if you touch uh, a stick. Um, uh, so um, so we're doing level four 
autonomy um, every, you know, every day in our races. Um, that said, Control they crash the all the time. It is all about the crashes. It is freaking demolition derby. So what is it that makes the difference between a team then? Is it the ability to program, the ability to yeah. fine-tune the different components to... All of the above. We, we, we basically don't want it to be about the car. So a lot of like people are like, oh, I'm going to have like bigger motor or better tires. Right. And we're like, that's kind of not the point. Um, so we, so um, we actually have kind of basically four different classes of cars. I mean, there's, there's two distinct classes, so small and large. But within those classes, we have four different technological threads. Um, um, one of them is computer vision, and that's sort of the, the Tesla. That's standing in for Tesla. So um, it's all a proxy war, right? So this we're basically doing the Tesla versus Waymo everything. It's all in a small proxy scale. war. Love it. Um, so, so the computer vision teams are sort of standing in for Tesla, and um, and then there's the deep learning teams. It's it's a little it's not a perfect analogy since Tesla uses some deep learning as well. But um, but you have computer vision teams that are kind of classic computer vision, and then deep learning teams fall to three classes. There's um, uh, reinforcement learning. Which is the Amazon, you know, uh, approach where you sort of give it sort of um, goals and rewards and cost functions and things mm -hmm. like that. There's a behavioral cloning team where you drive around manually a few times and it sort of sees the co correlation between what the camera sees and what your input was and it hmm. learns from that. And then there's a, um, uh, a simple supervision um, team, which is the NVIDIA team. Um, and when I say NVIDIA team, I mean based on the NVIDIA technology, right. Jetson Nano and all that. And that, and that team um, and that, that approach is that basically you, you just sort of show it, you know, 100 or 200 photos and you, and you click on where you would drive, hmm. you know, if, if, you were, if you were seeing that right. and, it, and it learns from that. And um, and there's also there's there's also things involving lidar and and slam and um, you know and, and, and uh, fisheye lenses that are looking at the ceiling patterns and lights and all sorts of clever techniques. But it's basically um, algorithmic approaches versus other algorithms. Is there anybody who's pull any methodology that's pulling away from the pack that's proving to be more reliable? Um, some of the custom ones. So so you can actually see the the, the data we post it. Um, they they just beat the fastest human. Um, which is saying something. Hmm. Um, uh, I would say that some of the custom approaches that are really optimized for this course were indoors um, at a place called Circuit Launch in Oakland. Uh, by the way, there's, there's, there's hundreds of these communities around the world um, now and about 10,000 people, but the, the main one um, is, is, is in Oakland, California. Um, uh, one clever approach um, looks uh, recognizes that the, that the lights on the ceiling of this place are kind of a distinct pattern. Mm. And so it localizes, it's got a fisheye lens and it can sort of see the entire room from above. And there's no, one of the problems is when you're, when you're looking forward um, or around you on ground level, it's super, it's, it's crowded, there's, there's spectators on the side, other cars, etc. If, yeah. if you look up, um, on the ceiling, it's it's clean, and so it localizes itself based on that. And that one's um, that one's really fast. Uh, there's another one that's doing the same thing, but we have cones um, on the kind of the key corners, and it localizes itself by 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 spotting the cones with lidar. Um, so those are the ones that are super optimized for this course, and they're the fastest. They're not generalizable. Obviously, if you're looking at ceiling lights, it's not going to work outdoors. Yeah. So those are not generalizable approaches. But um, anyway, there's the answer. Okay, so to, to summarize on the feasibility of level four in the real world, are you bullish oh, on that? Uh, not in the near near term, no. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, and by the way, we're we're dealing with the same thing with drones. Um, you know, they're not fully autonomous um, mm -hmm. for a couple reasons. One, the the main reason is is regulation. They're not allowed. So the, you know, the only way we get efficiencies is when you break the one to one human robot, you know, ratio. If they're still, ha you know, it's, it's like you're, 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 your autopilot and your seven, you know, in your seven, triple seven is not achieving anything in terms of efficiency because you still have two pilots, you know, sitting out. Now it may make their life yeah. easier. If it may the be payload safer. is a human, if the payload is not a human, then you do have some efficiencies there, right? Right. But in our case, although the payload is not a human, there still has to be a human present standing on right. the ground do, do, doing nothing. So we haven't actually achieved any kind of labor efficiency. Um, in, um, uh, and, and the reason we haven't is, again, the FAA regulations um, have, have limited us in, in that respect because of the kind of pilot and command concept. Um, uh, we're about to break through that, and there's a, um, uh, a principle called type certification. If an aircraft is, is, is tested and, and, and considered safe by the FAA, it's allowed to do you know, riskier things. Um, no drone to date, I, I think possibly one military exception, but no drone to, to commercial drone to date has been type certified. And uh, we're going to have the first one in about a month's time. 
Hmm. Um, and, and this has to do with the recognition that uh, drones are a low-risk uh, kind of aircraft. And that as aircraft have moved from a mechanical era in the 50s to a, essentially software era, the uh, process of regulation has not kept up. And the 737 MAX crisis is a perfect example of, um, of an outdated regulatory system that basically locked the software down in 1967 when the wow. 737. Yeah, and, that, and all the software additions since then have been patches on top of the core. So it's like COBOL, you know, in, yeah. in, in the government. Yeah. And, um, and because, because it's too hard to recertify, because they basically say, you know, we're going to sort of look at every line of code and you can't change the code or you have to recertify, there was, it, was, it was very hard to improve the code. Yeah. It's like legacy code by way of dictate. Like you have it, to keep exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. So, so the, I think everyone recognized that, you know, back in the day when code was a tiny fraction of the, the vehicle, that was okay. But now as the majority of the vehicle's technology is not okay anymore. So rather than just sort of swap to this new approach where it's like, hey, we're going to treat a phone like a like a like a like a, a plane like a phone. Um, so you know, Verizon doesn't look at every line of code in Android. They say, look, you know, you guys do your job, build Android the way the you know the way you think you should, and we're going to test it on our networks. And we're going to look at its performance. And we have a battery of tests, and if it performs well, fine. You know, update the code all you want, just don't change the performance. So the FAA is going to be doing the same thing with drones, and it's called performance-based certification. Hmm. And what they're saying is like, you tell us how it performs, we test to make sure it really does perform that way, and you can continue to improve and, and, and fix the, the code as long as it doesn't change you know, the, these, these key performance criteria. Um, now, this is super good. Um, it's a 90-day process rather than like a nine-year process. It's built on, on our code um, uh, process, which um, we, after we got into hardware, we built a ton of drones, then got out because the, the Chinese uh, were doing such a good job. We put the code into the Linux Foundation as something called uh, drone code. Um, and it is today the, the sort of the Android of the space. It runs a it's, it's, it runs a, a, a code stack called PX4, um, and so that that the way we develop that code and the professionalism of that consortium and our testing and um, you know a simulation process is now becoming the standard that the FAA is adopting, and that's great. Um, they want to do this experiment at the lowest risk category. So um, these are vehicles that weigh about two and a half kilograms. Um, they're flying under four hundred feet. Um, not carrying people, and we're going to build up millions of hours of evidence that this is the right way. And as we do, as the FAA gets more and more statistical power to prove that this method works, they can expand it to larger drones, drones flying over people, maybe air taxis, urban air mobility, and maybe you know a generation from now, you know the the next generation, you know the the, the next jetliners will use this tech this this um, the, the certification process that had been tested on drones first. This episode is brought to you by KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, and you are invited to attend this flagship conference from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, North America 2019. That is a mouthful and an awesome conference to attend. It's happening November 18th to the 21st in San Diego, California. This conference gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities. Use the code KCNACHANGELOG19. Once again, KCNACHANGELOG19 to get 10% off registration or check the show notes for a special link to register and also a link to the convince boss letter. Again, check the show notes for links to learn more and register. And by cross-browser testing from SmartBear, the innovator behind the tools that make it easier for you to create better software faster. If you're building a website and don't know how it's going to render across different browsers or even mobile devices, you'll want to give this tool a shot. It's the only all-in-one testing platform that lets you run automated, visual, and manual UI tests across thousands of real desktop and mobile browsers. Make sure every experience is perfect for everyone who uses your site and it's easy and completely free to try. Check it out at crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog. Again, crossbrowsertesting.com slash changelog. So you mentioned drone code. It's out there. Linux Foundation. We'll link it up in the show notes for everybody to go click through and check out all the different sub projects and bits and bobs. 
the DOD itself is also seems to be a, a, adopting some of the, is this, is drone code the platform that the DOD, at least in some capacity, is interested in adopting or they have adopted? Yeah, yeah, they have adopted. You know, DOD is, 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 is giant and there's many different parts of it, but there's one, um, uh, you know, basically the small drone size, mm-hmm. um, they can go to Walmart and they can see what you can get from DJI, but they're not allowed to use DJI because Chinese and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they want basically... Um, and this is the case throughout the military. They want what's called dual use technologies. They want to sort of, they want to get the, the I was going to say bang for buck, buck, but that's probably not, maybe that's, that's too on the nose for, for, <laughs> for GOD. But they want the same price performance as consumer technology, but they want it to be more secure. Um, so rather than just buying Chinese drones and using them, they want to, um, uh, they want to uh, you know, work with a open platform that can that can create drones as good and as cheap as the as, as the Chinese ones, but is trusted and is trusted because they you know at least parts of the DoD now recognize that open open source is verifiable um, uh, that you know with uh, it, it's it's it performs well they kind of you know Linux is correctly evangelized right. that open source is a good thing yeah. And, and, and so they, they've, they've realized that the way they're going to get price for performance is with an open platform. And not only because it's trust, it can be trusted and verified and, and, and checked and they, know, and, you know, and, they, and they know where it comes from, but also it, it, it avoids vendor lock-in. An open platform means that they can get many different companies using the standard and because they hate vendor lock-in. Because vendor lock-in, you know, it's called a program of record. And once you have a program mm-hmm. of record, it's a monopoly. Um, and by by um, by dictating open standards, they're essentially dictating competition. And so they've adopted um, uh, elements of the drone code stack. There's a communications layer called Mavlink. There's a, um, a ground open source ground station called uh, Q, Q Ground Control. Um, and then there's the underlying code called PX4. And, and uh, there's an entity um, uh, in the in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley area, uh, called the Defense Innovation Unit. And uh, they've been sort of tasked with stimulating this kind of open ecosystem for defense needs, and they're the ones who have mandated this uh, this code base. So, where does three D robotics fit into this new matured world where there's an open platform? Are you just one vendor amongst many, or do you guys still have something that sets you apart? Yeah. Well, so we got we got we sort of got got uh, accidentally got into hardware, then accidentally got into hardware. Well, then purposely got into hardware really big, um, and uh, you know we went. Back in those days, in like the 2013-14, only commercial, only consumer use of, of drones was allowed, so recreational use, but commercial use was not allowed. So we had to go consumer, and it's it was you know hard. Um, you're talking Best Buy, you know, hundreds of you know small margins, uh, yeah, yeah, small margins, a lot of price competition, a lot of risk, um, and um, you know we we made um, I don't know a couple hundred thousand of, of these things. Um, the Chinese did it better than, than us. That just for economics, um, you know, their economics were better, the scale was better, etc. They were really innovating brilliantly, and it was it's just it just you know, they were just they just beat us. Um, so we got out of consumer, and just as we were doing so, um, the FA allowed commercial. So we're like, uh, look, you know, the, you know, it's like, you, you, you know, why don't we make cell phones in America today? And the answer is China does a really good job of it. So mm-hmm. instead, we make cell phone software. Um, and so that's what we did. We said, look, you know, um, the drones exist. The only reason we did hardware and software is because we needed to make a vertically integrated instantiation of a drone that worked. Once, once you could do that, you know, once, once somebody else is making the hardware that's good, and you, know, you, you can just, you know, focus on the software side, and the experience is still good. Um, so we moved into software. Um, we focused on the data, um, construction, geospatial, um, and today we're, we're, you know, we're a big company in that space. Um, and that would have been the end of it. You know, sort of, we went from the kind of DIY phase, the sort of the components, to the full drones, to just the software. Now we're a SaaS company. SaaS is good business. It's better margins. You know, all, all good. Um, and that would have been the end of it um, were it not for this current freakout about China, you know, the Huawei you know, stuff yeah. and all that. And, um, you know, what happened is that the U.S. government essentially banned the purchase of DJI vehicles. It's a kind of a soft ban, but it's, it's, it's pretty clear the way the writing's on. DOD made a hard ban. Uh, the Pentagon made a hard ban. And, um, and then everybody said, um, you know, the government's like essentially shut down, which is really bad because, you know, among the things that they were doing is they're fighting forest fires. The Department of Interior is fighting the forest fires in the, in, in the, in the uh, Pacific, uh, you know, West, mm-hmm. California primarily. And they, and they use drones, um, you know, for that to for spot, sure. you know, look through the smoke, spot hot spots, things like that. 
And they were at risk of having this important program shut down, um, public safety, fire police. Um, you know, it was, it was basically a, a, a problem. The fleets got grounded. And so, the, um, uh, so we, we realized that this was kind of the best thing for drone code is that, is that you know, Android would only, only succeeded because Google was there to, you know, to, to stick it in the hardware and, and get it out there. Before that, it just didn't have critical mass. Um, we don't have a Google um, for, for drone code. Um, but what we do have now is a, is, a, is a market. There's a vacuum in the market where DJI is not allowed to participate. And, um, and there was demand for an open alternative. And, um, and so the question is, who's going to turn that into hardware? And um, we uh, did not want to get into the full hardware business at all, but um, we did see that there was demand for it. So what we did is we took one of our um, Chinese um, uh, members of DroneCode, uh, a company called Unique out of Shanghai, and we commissioned a custom vehicle. Um, from them that was going to run, that was, they were already using the drone code software, but we commissioned one that was appropriate for, for government use. And then we have them ship it over in an incomplete stage. So with the commodity elements, you know, okay. the motors and, and the batteries. It. And then we assemble it, we provision it with software in the United States. We add, you know, we, we basically test it. And, and that hybrid of sort of, you know, Chinese commodity hardware, then, you know, American software and ultimately cameras and, and, and autopilots, et cetera. So the smart stuff being made in the United States and the commodity stuff being made outside the United States, built around open platform. That's that that hybrid approach is what we're promoting. And um, you know, well, um, right now some parts of the government like it. Other parts of the government say, "Did that atom touch China?" You know, no atom that touched touch China shall ever touch us. Right. You know, we're 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 right in the in the middle of this you know silly political battle. Um, but uh, but we think we're on the right side of it, and we think that this the hybrid approach is the way that we handle the geopolitical wars. Um, of the future and, um, you know, check back in a year or two and you'll find out whether we're right. Well, if you get the components from China or assemble them yourselves and you're controlling all the software, you kind of control the security, I suppose, except for maybe potentially sneaky software hanging out somewhere. But, you know, again, yeah. if you can't control the components you're putting together, you have a control of the rough security of things. I, that, I think so too. Yeah. Um, there was a Business Week cover a, a year ago um, that got turned into, it's called Chipgate, where there was this allegation that uh, circuit boards from China had like a component that was not specified on the board, and that component was like a backdoor, sneaky, whatever thing. Um, I, I don't think it's, first of all, it's certainly possible. Um, I don't think that particular story was true. Um, I think it sort of played to the paranoia of those who wanted it to be true. But now there is a there is a, uh, a contingent within within you know, the U.S. government who basically says that that no circuit boards can touch China. Now that's fine. We can make circuit boards in the United States. Um, if you tell me that no plastics can touch China, no no batteries can touch China, no, no wires can touch China, then you know then I think we're you know we're we're in silly territory, and you might as well just you know pay. Lockheed Martin, you know, a million dollars and do it the old fashioned way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're trying to find out where that line is. And right now there's a there's a bill actually in Congress that defines the line as um, the autopilot, the radio, the uh, camera and the gimbal. If those parts and by the way, and all the software that goes into them, if those parts are made in the United States, everything else can be made elsewhere. And um, I think that's appropriate. Awesome, Chris. Well, we're running out of time here. Tell us real quick on your new hobby, DIY Robocars. For folks interested, where's the place to go? You said there's a meetup in Oakland. What's the way? For sure. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we have a, a site at DIYRobocars.com. Um, what you'll see is there, there's links to all the local meetups. Um, there's meetups around the world. I guess we have about uh, almost 100 at this point. Um, you know, in Europe, I think this last weekend, there was a meetup in Stuttgart and one in Helsinki. There was one in Cambridge, uh, in the UK, etc. Um, so there'll be, there's a list of local meetups. Um, there's a number of projects that you can use to get started. Um, one of the popular ones is called Donkey Car. Um, and I think it's go to okay. donkey, donkeycar.com. Um, there is uh, Amazon has just released, or I think it's just, actually it's not clear whether Amazon's released it. Uh, um, I'll, actually, I'm going to check in the, this is going to be a real uh, live check. Amazon announced something called Deep Racer, which is their aut autonomous uh, car. And they announced it earlier this year and it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And I'm going to right now find out in real time whether it's shipped today as it, as it was meant to. Um, and uh, the answer is pins and needles. Pins and needles, and the answer is track package. Track package. It has not shipped. Oh, 
it is not shipped. So we're all, you know, they, um, it's literally, it's showing as like, like, like now arriving Tuesday, but it has not crossed the ship line. Mm-hmm. And we're now, we're now sort of like slightly afraid it's going to get delayed till next year. Um, uh, NVIDIA has a number of, of, of uh, racers. Uh, one's called a Jet Racer and one's called JetBot. Um, so these use the new NVIDIA Jetson, um, which is really cool. Um, and uh, there will be more. But um, go to DIY Robocars and they're all linked there. I love the, the tagline you have there. Fast, cheap, out of control. So, yeah. Um, I, I think they're all equally important. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, fast and expensive. Um not the point. Right. Slow and expensive. Not the point. No um, in control. Absolutely not the point. If you see the, vi- <laughs> if you watch any of the videos of our of our races, um, the crashes are are half fun. And then, by the way, it used to be they crashed because the software sucked. Now they crash because they're going so fast and they're so competitive. They're 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 hitting each other as they you know, jockey for position, and they tumble and wow. and nobody's been hurt. Good. That's progress right there. We'll have to we'll have to have you back on, Chris. We could talk more at length at some point on. Especially where this is going, it seems like we could have camped out just on DIY robo cars alone and had. Chris a lot of might fun. have preferred it. It seems like you get you get real lit up when we talk about. The <laughs> I, I know. Well, it's 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 because it's the the, the hot new thing. Yeah. And um, you know, the thing is that you know, with drones, it was technical. We solved all the technical problems like five years ago, and now it's business problems. Mm. With cars, we're still right in the middle of solving technical problems. Um, so you know, I'm an, I'm a nerd. I like solving technical problems. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today. It was lots of fun, and uh, thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. All right, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now, so head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners, and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stukowiak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon.